Hello, spreaders, and welcome to season five of the Spread Podcast. My name is Kaz. On this episode, we will be joined by Dr. Caroline Chakua. She is a psychotherapist, lecturer, international parenting coach, and author of the book, Parenting with Your Heart in Mind. We have previously sat down with Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir discussing the ways in which they teach their children consent. Please be sure to tune in episode 42. Uh, I'll leave a description in the show notes below. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Carol on the importance of parents working on their traumas, the various programs she facilitates. We also discuss the ways in which she's introduced intentional parenting to teachers, parents and other caregivers, as well as the tools she uses as a parent herself. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. We are available on Spotify as Spotify is now in Kenya. Whoop, whoop. Enjoy the podcast episode. Yeah, I want to tell you things that I won't tell at anybody else here. I want to share my secrets with you because with you I have no fear because my soul is ready and my heart is ready. Hello, Dr. Carol. Is that how you like to be um, engaged? Yes, Kaz, Dr. Carol. Welcome to the spread. It's such an honor to have a conversation with you about things that are so important to us. So important to me as well. Thank you, Kaz. It's such a pleasure to be here and a privilege. Oh, bless. Blessings all around. And the sun is shining today, so... I know, right? Yes. Last couple of days, my goodness. Oh my gosh, it's been freezing. (laughs) Dr. Carol, please maybe just start off by telling us um, who you are and a little bit about the work that you do. Okay, thank you, Kaz. Now, I am a parenting coach and a therapist. So my background is psychology. I have trained, been trained to work with people. And initially, my work centered a lot on working with children and uh, what I realized then as I was working is that children are really easy to influence cars they are very open to experiences Mm. they are like sponges they soak Mm. in they are excited Uh, they're very malleable to changing and as I was doing that uh, then I would work with them but they would go back to the same environments that initially brought them to therapy Mm-hmm. And so for the last five years, I have transitioned my work to working with parents because I have realized that many parents will come to me and bring their children. And those children really do not need to be in therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that the parents are feeling overwhelmed, ill-equipped, and you know it's just easier to get an expert in quotes or somebody who has more knowledge to help mm-hmm. them. So what I do with parents is sort of just translate the things that I do in therapy with children and break it down in a way that is simple, that is practical and give them those tips so that children don't necessarily need to come to me. And so I build the confidence of the parent to know that they are capable, they are enough to um, provide a similar environment that we provide in therapy. And Mm -hmm. of course, you know, kids that need to go for therapy still uh, will come, but Basically, it's just breaking it down, helping parents with very practical tips and basically 
focusing on themselves first, their own wellness. How, how am I showing up? How am I doing? Mm-hmm. Is my child triggering me? So I talk a lot about triggers. Mm-hmm. At some point, I need to stop so you can come in and ask another question. <laughs> for a whole hour. That's good to know that you could talk a whole hour because that's perfect for the podcast. <laughs> and you are spitting, you know, uh, great information. So that that's really important. I actually wanted to ask, what's the most common denominator when you find that parents are bringing their kids in for therapy or people seeking help, what do you find is the most common reason that parents are coming in or the reason why you find that perhaps children are um, struggling in the home? Common denominator cause is the environment, the environment mm. in which the child is growing in. So it will show up in misbehavior. It will show up in um, my child is bullying. My child is not performing well. Uh, We're having such power struggles at home. My child is not listening. It doesn't matter. My, My daughter doesn't listen to me unless I yell. My little girl will not do anything I ask unless I spank them. So there's, it all comes from the behavior. And what I tell parents is behavior is communication of a need. So for me, the need is what environment is the parent creating? So there could be a million problems, cause, but it still boils down to what environment have I provided for this behavior to be the result? Because the behavior is, is like the harvest, okay? Yes. So we need to go down and ask, what is the need? What is the root of this behavior? Exactly. Understandable. And... Um, this next question is about to take a bit of a dark turn, but I think it's really important that we talk about like sexual assault amongst minors. And I feel like, um, and I'm actually going to bring in a personal experience. I was sexually assaulted when I was a little girl and I didn't tell my mother. It's something that I, that I didn't share with her. Um, and over the years I've, I've thought about it because like, what are some of the reasons that kids don't go to their parents with things like this so for me I feel like my reasoning was um, my mom worked at a school that I went to so she had a house on the school compound and we would stay there during the holidays sometimes like if it was the short holidays like half term we would stay there for the whole of the half term but then if it was like the longer holidays we'd stay and then go home after like a week or two and then go like come back to Nairobi to Shags to visit my the rest of my family Um, but one of the things that I found is that this person who was actually a teacher in the school used to take me um, for swimming classes. And I felt like if I told my mom, this is my reasoning as a child, that I wouldn't be allowed to go swimming again. (laughs) And for me, uh, living in a school where there's no children, and I spend most of my time alone as a kid, um, like that was such an important thing for me, like swimming or um, other activities that I was able to do. And so I feel like that's the reason why I didn't tell my mom, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other underlying factors. What would you say um, could be some of the reasons why children have fear when when it comes to um, talking about, you know, any kind of assault? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm really sorry that you went through that, Kaz, and thanks for sharing Mm -hmm. your experience. Mm. And creating a platform, you know, to create uh, this kind of awareness because it's Absolutely. really important. Yeah. Um, I think there are several reasons. And I think one is just the whole topic of sex is such a taboo 
there's a lot of uh, shame and embarrassment and darkness and mystery surrounding sex. Yeah. And yet it's, it's with us. It's a very normal part of who we are every day. We are sexual beings by nature. Mm-hmm. But we haven't grown up being exposed to candid conversations. We haven't normalized conversations surrounding sex. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, just because of that, there's a lot of mystery and taboo surrounding it. Then um, I don't know about your experience. If the person who was molesting you also uh, was threatening you and telling you, don't say, or this is... No, that's the thing. He, he didn't say anything. Mm. But I, I, it's almost like he knew that I couldn't say anything, which is strange. Mm. But I know, I know there's a lot of young people who are threatened. I have heard those stories, yes. It's interesting. I mean, probably in a very subconscious way, he made it feel like this is our little secret. Mm-hmm. You, you, your mom really trusted him. Mm-hmm. It becomes, it's, it's really just as parents, because we need to initiate those conversations. Yeah. And we need to take a deep breath and say, I am uncomfortable. This is scary for me. But I am the one to initiate. Because when I talk to parents, sometimes they tell me, you know, they haven't brought it up. So that means they're not interested. No, mm. that's a big no. Just because they haven't brought it up doesn't mean it's not time for you to begin. Yeah. And of course, it has to be age appropriate. Age appropriate, of course. Yes. How, how old were you? I was seven or six. Seven? I think I was seven. Yeah. And, you know, by age three, of course, we need to be talking about body parts and what is safe touch Mm. and who should come around you. And so those conversations should have been had early. And, I, you know, we don't sit here and start bashing our parents and saying they should have done this, they should have done that. They just didn't know. And I think they just didn't have the skills to have those conversations. And, you know, we need to go deeper and ask even what would hold a parent, a parent as a person back from having those conversations. Um, Parents themselves have gone through trauma surrounding sex. Of course. The silence, you know, it's like the silence is passed down generation. Yes. The inability to speak out, the ability to to see it as a wrong thing, you know, done to you, yeah. has been passed down generations. So for me, um, the reasons are many as to why children would not speak up. Of course, one, like I say, because just sex is such a taboo topic. Two, also because maybe a parent themselves have gone through it and in a subconscious way, they are passing on the message that this is a no-go zone. Mm. And that's the thing. We don't know what messages we are passing on to our children subconsciously, mm-hmm. you know. So we pass on fear, we pass on anxiety, we pass mm. all that. In. And like I say, children just soak in. They're like sponges, you know. They soak in whatever is in the environment. Yes, including the energy. Exactly. Mm. So there's a lot of unspokenness, you know, like this is not spoken here. Like a, a, a term I've had uh, used elsewhere before is silence is spoken here. You know, <laughs> silence is the language that we speak in this space when it comes to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And we need to explore that in a very intentional way as parents and ask ourselves those questions. What are my experiences around sexuality? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are my Fears. Just a simple question. Who taught you about sex? 
you know. Yeah, and so important. And they sound really basic, but it feels like so many people have carry a lot of like fear around just the simple conversation. Yes. Um, I was watching this TV show where this girl finally told her mother in adulthood that she had been um, sexually assaulted as a teen. And her mother actually said to her, I always knew that something had happened. But then she said, I never wanted you to tell me because once I hear it, I would never be able to unhear it. And I think that really like stuck with me because like as a parent, knowing that something so traumatic has happened to your child, if they tell you, you literally cannot unhear those words for as long as you live. And and I can imagine that the guilt that a parent carries with that kind of information is is out of this world. No, I know. And the, the, the shame and, and, and it takes a whole other process to just begin to forgive yourself, to go through that process. But the thing is, Kaz, is that as parents, sometimes we are going through so much so that we are sort of detached from reality. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want to face the things that are com- are uncomfortable. And so I can imagine, and that's this is just a hypothesis, that this mm-hmm. mom could also have been going through so much herself. Of because course. when you are well, when you're continuously working on yourself, you're conscious, you're being mindful, you're being intentional, you're working on your healing, mm-hmm. something like that you cannot go to bed with. You of get? Course. Yeah. Like when you are well and whole, you address issues. Yes. You are more confident. You look for information. That's you know, true. You're putting in a, you're in a space where you can actually do stuff that yeah. is meaningful, that is purposeful. And so I go back to, I wonder what that mom was going through, even in, in her own life. Yeah. What she's also gone through. Like, we owe it to our children. And this is very important. We owe it to our children to find healing for ourselves. I always say this. I always say do not pass down generational trauma because that is a thing that frequently happens. And if you if you are not working towards healing for yourself, how do you expect your child to grow up when you've inherited your mother's silence, when you've inherited your mother's um, trauma? And, you know, just like... And this is this is an example. I'm pretty sure that there's so many different um, variations to this story, but we're constantly inheriting our parents' hurt and trauma. And then we go out and have children without even healing our own trauma. And it's just, it's a pattern that's going to keep repeating itself until the lesson is learned. Right. That's absolutely right. And uh, that's really at the core. You know, we want our kids to grow up, be responsible, have meaningful relationships. We want them to be successful. We want them to be fruitful. We want them to make a difference out here. But that cannot happen. In fact, I usually tell parents, those are the fruits. Those are the fruits. Yeah. And they will come automatically. If you are showing up in a way that is conscious, in a way that is connected, so we also talk about a lot about how to be connected to your child, to be present with them, to be more aware of what's going on with you. If you discover your 11-year-old has been watching pornography, for example, mm-hmm. you know the first rush you get cause is a rush of guilt. Mm-hmm. But it's not guilt, you don't even, you're not even aware that it's guilt, okay? 
Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. what you will do, most parents react and don't respond. So you react out of anger. Anger. Mm-hmm. You will lash out your, your child. You will withdraw all the gadgets. You will switch off the Wi-Fi or change the Wi-Fi. Yeah. So we get very, very reactive at the outset. But then yeah. we need to be able to begin to ask ourselves, what am I really feeling? What are the real feelings here? And am I comfortable enough to sit with those feelings so that now I begin to really get to the root cause? So one is feelings of guilt. Where have I been for my child to come this far and to be addicted um, to pornography at 11? We don't um, take a moment to think that guilt could be there. Helplessness feelings of inadequacy. I am a bad parent. Only children Mm, of bad parents do these things. Until we get there, until we're able to identify the actual raw, vulnerable feelings behind our anger and our reactivity, we are forever going to just be focusing on removing the gadgets, putting controls, you know, because when I sit and begin to be comfortable with uncomfortable feelings, then mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you own that issue. You own it, you own the problem, and you say, let me take responsibility. This child needs guidance. You begin mm-hmm. to think about the process of it as opposed to just fixing things up or the outset. So what would you say those conversations look like within your work? Is there any kind of like lessons or programs for parents to work together with their kids in order to sort of like move, like I'm really taking this, like finding your 13-year-old watching porn analogy. analogy. Where do you go from there? Understandably, the parent's first um, reaction is anger, but that's just <laughs> the initial reaction and you don't even know why you're so angry so then what what how do we begin to address that situation good question Kaz. first of all uh reacting being angry and removing all the gadgets is a very knee-jerk normal reaction so if that's what you have done please don't get into a place of guilt <laughs> because uh-huh. that's what we do and so i think for me is if that has happened and you have reacted Begin by, first of all, just acknowledging that that could not have been the right way and going back to repair it, okay? I'm big on repairing our intense moments with our children. Go back and say, you know what? When I found you, I reacted. I yelled at you. Maybe I chuckled you. Whatever it is I did, I am sorry. It shocked me, and this is how I was feeling. It's important to tell the, to, to tell the child, this is how I was feeling. I felt like... Uh, I've lost it. I've lost control. And so I reacted. I am sorry. Can we have a do-over? Okay. Uh So what does a do-over look like? First of all, we need to realize that it's a long process. It's a long journey. We have to begin to walk back to where did it even start? So begin to ask questions about, um, tell the child, I am interested in knowing how we got here. So you have to approach this from a place of curiosity. And you know that if they don't trust you, if you have been a reactive parent, it will take quite a bit for them to even believe you, okay? Mm. But the thing with our children is that, again, when they see your attempts to change and to transform, they they also uh, get that. They, they respond to that. Our children mm. respond to us better when they feel connected to us, okay? So begin with i'm just curious please help me understand and it's Mm -hmm. okay to say i don't get it i've never i mean i talked to a parent who told me 
I have never watched porn before. I yeah. Those websites and everything just came flooded and I was in shock. So she was mm. paralyzed. Okay, she was paralyzed. And so get to that place and say, I don't understand this either. This is all very new to me. So can you tell me, what does it do for you? What does it do to you? These mm. conversations have, have, have got to be ongoing. You can't just have one conversation. That's true. That is so true. Yeah, they have to be ongoing. And of course, it has to be also on the ground of um, your own healthy beliefs to, about sex. So you cannot have this conversation if you have unhealthy beliefs about sex. Mm, if you're coming from a place of judgment. Exactly. And I, I, I usually look at these conversations in two phases or in mm-hmm. two sort of sections. There's the part of your values. Then there's the part of facts and science. Most parents, we, we major on values. Mm-hmm. We major on values. We major on what is right, what is moral, what is immoral, what the Bible says or what the Quran says, whatever beliefs you have, you major on that. Now, our children from age nine onwards, they have been developing their abstract thinking and they really connect with facts. Mm-hmm. So we need to get our facts right. We need to begin to look for information. And that's what I do with parents. I give them that information. I mm-hmm. help them have conversations, like word for word, you know. I give mm-hmm. you that, that basis of, okay, these are the facts. The fact is that pornography um, and, and being involved in sex too early, your brain is not ready. Just telling your child your brain is not ready uh, for the responsibilities that come with sexual involvement okay your involvement in sexual activities at this mm-hmm. the brain is not ready and at some point you will be ready but at this point it's like putting uh like 100 watt wattage in in a 10 wattage battery mm-hmm. you know it's too much so give give factual information talk about the mental health repercussions of engaging yourself in sex this early that you mm-hmm. are likely to end up um, in depression uh, you might get into addiction because addictions also happen a lot during mm-hmm. um, adolescent stage so you see those facts those facts mm-hmm. are very very important but we don't dwell there we come, we load it over them, we, we make declarations, not in my house, you know, or, mm. or this is not how I've raised you. I mean, we are all over the place with our reactions. So we mm-hmm. need to step back. If you need to ask for forgiveness for your reactivity, do that. Parent, gosh, can you hear parents asking for forgiveness? <laughs> gosh, look, we have to, we have to parent differently. If we want to pass down the right, you know, belief systems and the right mm. attitudes towards sexuality. Yes, mommy, daddy, go and ask for forgiveness because you're teaching them a hundred lessons in one. One, that mm. even him or your child, your daughter or son can mm. go back and ask for forgiveness. So that's already conflict resolution you're teaching them. Okay, mm. just taking responsibility for your part. And I know that we have belief systems that, you know, apologizing is a sign of weakness. We just need to work through that. Yeah. In many democratic societies, actually, the leaders will come and apologize. They will even step down. You know, that's a sign of maturity. Mm-hmm. So, yes, get information. And you don't have to do something right away. Okay. 
useful information. I'm definitely a very firm believer of that. And the information is there. But then um, I guess my biggest fear is um, with parents, a lot of them teach fear-based sex education. So it's like disease, pregnancy, HIV, death, you know, inevitably death. Um, And, you know, they always say, if you get pregnant, don't bring that child into my house kind of thing. That's a very common phrase that is heard amongst many households across the country. Bring me shame, you know. Yes. And there's so many things that that young people are afraid to tell their parents, even just about sexuality. We're not able to teach our own kids comprehensive sexuality education where the education is about different kinds of sexuality, different kinds of genders, understanding that there is a spectrum when it comes to sexuality. A lot of queer um, young people have trouble having those kind of conversations or will never have those conversations with their parents about um, having same-sex relations, for example. And that's because we, again, fear-based sex education. You will go to hell, Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of these things that um, are constantly told to us. How do you propose that parents can keep an open mind when it comes to having these conversations at home? Um, and I think that's the thing, keeping an open mind. Keeping an open mind means you being very clear about what you believe. Okay, uh-huh. what, what do you believe and why? Uh-huh. Have you gone deeper to understand what you really believe? Or was this something that was just sort of passed down to you and you uh-huh. just blindly taken? We are very close-minded. We are like, no way, we are not going to go down that road. I tell parents to be curious, approach this with curiosity. Mm-hmm. Already our 13-year-olds or 14-year-olds know a lot more about sexuality than we do. Mm-hmm. They are exposed to Netflix, to YouTube, to mm-hmm. TikTok, uh, they watch these movies and all that. They are exposed to all that. Have open-ended conversations. So number one, uh, what are your values? What do you believe in and why? Okay, now, just because you believe it and you know why, whether it is your holy book says this is the right way to go, it is important that you teach those values consistently over time to your children. Mm -hmm. But it cannot end there. Open up your mind and learn about different kinds of orientations and how people Mm. feel. I mean, what's out there? And you're not learning so that you can incorporate it into your values. It's so that now you can get even more clarity. I think with more information that is coming at us, then there is need for us to be more clear about what we believe Mm -hmm. and why we believe it. That's so important, what we believe and why we believe it. That is so important. Why do you believe it? At Mm -hmm. the very basic level, why do you believe it? Because if you are convicted, if you are clear, then you're able to pass it down to your child with confidence. But keep an open mind in terms of when they come to you with all this information, how are you reacting? Be curious. Tell me. You just go like me, I'm hearing about LGBTQI. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me what this is about? Like, let them tell you. 
Mm. And as they and as you're listening to them, hold your tongue, okay? Mm. Bite it. <laughs> Just listen with curiosity. Because what happens is, as you learn more, then you can go back to your values and ask yourself, so what do my values tell me about this space, mm -hmm. okay? And then you're able now to have a healthier conversation in the next conversation you have. But we do not want our children to talk about these things to us. We are so afraid, so scared, and yet it's happening. Just the other day, I was talking to a friend of mine whose son came to him and told him, you know what? I have been having feelings, sexual feelings towards boys for the mm -hmm. last few years, okay? And that's a shocking conversation. Where do you even start, okay? Yeah. And this is someone who is very grounded in their Christian values. This is a child who has been raised, you know, in terms of, you know, their Christian values. So where do you even begin with that conversation? But I'm glad about how he handled it. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't a reactive handling. It was, okay, tell me more. What exactly does it mean? Does it mean that you want to actually have sex with them? Or when you just look and you, you feel you're aroused? And so the, the direction we are going with him, even as I'm walking this journey with him, is to, to strip off any masks and just mm -hmm. talk about it raw. Like, do you want to have sex with a boy? You know? Mm -hmm. What does it do? Do you get an erection when, like, maybe you're in the bathroom because he's in boarding school and you mm. see? Like, let's demystify these things. Let's not put it in a corner and be very... Um... Secretive. I have a question for you, Dr. Carol. Um, that conversation that you're having with a 14-year-old boy, is that a conversation that you would have with the same 14-year-old boy if he wanted to sleep with a girl? Because why do we have to differentiate the kind of sex and arousal that he feels towards somebody of the same gender if we don't ask the same questions about him with a different gender? Good question. Very good question. <laughs> yeah. This parent came to me on the basis of these are my values. This mm. child came to me because he is feeling guilty about his feelings mm -hmm. based on how I have raised him. And what I do as a therapist, I go with where you're at. If these are your values, so let mm -hmm. me walk with you. Let me help you deal with your fears, your anxieties concerning this particular space. Mm -hmm. Would it be the same conversation if the boy wanted to sleep with a girl? It probably would be, I think the delineating factor here is what are your values? At the end yeah. of the day, you want to pass down your values, okay? And yeah. You have to be clear about your values. Yeah. Yeah. If it's another family that's open-minded, and so the question is, then why are you coming to me? You see, the reason this boy came yeah. is because he's dealing with feelings of guilt based on how he was brought up. Yeah. I think an important lesson is queer people are always over-sexualized. So a lot of people see queer relationships as... Um, sex and not love. So I feel like um, probing into the sexuality of a same-sex attraction, mm -hmm. this is just my opinion. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. And I'm open to learning. <laughs> yes. My, it might be a little bit more traumatizing or might bring him more shame because um, I think 
think with queer relationships specifically, it doesn't need to be sexualized. If he said he has feelings, I think, I think maybe gearing the conversations towards the way he wants to have them, as opposed to choosing to have raw conversations about sex. You know, that is a different space. I'm shifting my mindset. Mm. Especially when you say it's because we over-sexualize this thing. Yeah, queer relationships are always over-sexualized. That's why majority of straight, heterosexual, cis men hate gay men. It's because they just think about the dick in the butthole. You know, they don't think about that these two men could actually just love each other. You know, they don't think further than that. They just think about like, this person probably wants to penetrate me. They're disgusted by the sexual act and they don't think about the wholeness of a person just loving another person. You know what I mean? Quite interesting. So in this case, then, um, the reason he, he's doing that, he's reaching out is because he's dealing with feelings of guilt. Yeah, and shame around what he knows about queerness. So he just needs to be taught something different about queerness. Like, it's okay to love somebody of the same gender. It's okay. Yes, the laws are completely against it. I feel like I'm the one now turning the interview around and interviewing you. Oh, yeah. It's, it's uh, so grounded in their values and in their faith. Mm. What do they do if they're struggling with that? just that actual space of saying it's okay to love and to have these feelings because that's not where they want to be they want to be on the other side of of course they're of course that makes so much sense of course they're trying to um and this is the thing about generational trauma um of course they're trying to line their child up to their values and and their traditions and their religious views but um sometimes we have to learn how to disconnect from our children and allow them to blossom into the thing that they're going to be and sit back and watch them grow into this beautiful person who is not hurting anybody, who has no intention. I mean, there's been no signs of sexual violence with any of this conversation. Um, This person is just experiencing something that a straight boy would experience um same erections maybe masturbating in the shower but they're thinking about two different genders so like we can't shame him i think it's the parents who need the help not the kid the kid is fine it's the parents who need to understand that there are over 8 billion people in this universe and not all of them are going to be aligned to their values just because they gave birth to them, you know? People are going to be different and we have to be able to cut the umbilical cord and allow our children to grow and be what they can be because if we hinder them, then they will only grow to fit in the box that you've created for them and they could be so much more. And be secretive and hide. Yeah, because that's what he'll do. He won't tell. Now he'll just keep those. And then what happens when young queer boys or girls or whatever gender are keeping secrets? They're having unsafe sex because they're doing it in the dark. They're spreading disease. Um, They're, again, suffering mental illness because they don't have anybody to talk to. Just all of these things that you had mentioned earlier. And it's because he's going to keep feeling that way. He's going to keep keeping it a secret. 
I clearly also, um, I, I do still come from a very traditional perspective. Mm -hmm. Understandably so. Uh, those kinds of discussions. And uh, as a therapist also, it's just being open to getting new information, supporting the parent to have mm -hmm. clarity about what they are doing. Mm -hmm. So that whatever it is you're doing, it's intentional, it's conscious. And at the end of the day, am I still connecting with my child? Does my child feel valued, mm. supported, loved? Am I creating an environment where constantly my child can come back to me mm -hmm. and talk to me? And mm -hmm. for whatever discussion, whether it's sexuality, whether it's drugs, whether mm -hmm. it's mental mm -hmm. health, Am I creating that environment? Am I consistently creating that environment by continuously working on myself? Mm -hmm. That's the importance of it all. That's the base. And as long as those surfaces are covered, I guess all the answers will eventually lead to as long as my child is safe. As long as you're opening yourself up for more information, um, then you're clearer about what it is you're passing down to your children. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's the work that you do. Yes. <laughs> so actually, Dr. Carol, just before we wrap up, I really want for people to hear where they can find you and where um, where they can get more information of you. I definitely will link everything down in the description box below. But um, in the meantime, can we hear it? Yes, I am online <laughs> primarily. Carol.co.ke is my website. And we have information there. We have on how you can get in touch with us, drcaro.co.ke. Mm -hmm. And then all the social media pages, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and um, Facebook, um, at Dr. Caro Chakua. So Dr. is DR, not mm -hmm. the phone doctor. Mm -hmm. And you can also reach out on our number, 0707-222-002. I'm sure you will also share that as well. I will, absolutely. Is that a number that's uh, constantly on? Is it like a helpline? No, no, no. It's not It's, no, it's not a 24-hour service. Okay. I do have an assistant who will be able to get the information. Got it. And still connect you with me if that is what is needed. I also have a book, Parenting with Your Heart in Mind. Mm -hmm. I um, it came out last year in October, November around there, mm -hmm. and basically it's just continuing to have these conversations about what's going on with you. Are you fulfilled? Uh, one of my greatest quotes that I love that really forms the foundation of the work that I do is by mm -hmm. Dr. Shifali, who is very big on conscious parenting, and she says that unless you are fulfilled, you will use your children to complete you. Mm, absolutely. Mm -hmm. She goes on to say that you will teach them how to live with your unacknowledged fears. So what are your unacknowledged fears? You know, there are fears and then there are those that we have not acknowledged. And many of our fears we haven't acknowledged. Okay. Mm -hmm. So as I work with parents, I begin to help them to really uh, speak out their fears, whatever fears they have, so that now they are able, you know, <laughs> What you fear, you feed. <laughs> yeah. Able to speak it out and demystify it, it's better. And then she says, you uh, also teach them how to live with your rejected emptiness. So we have a lot of emptiness that we need mm, to feel, that we need to process. 
And then finally, she says, you will teach them how to live with your um, forgotten past. And forgotten past are these things we've been talking about, trauma, things that we haven't spoken out, things that due because of we were children, we were not allowed to, we didn't even have the capacity to say no. So we suppressed them and buried them and we thought things were okay. And the time these things show up is when we have children because children become mirrors of the things we haven't dealt with, okay? That's why we react to them because they trigger, they trigger stuff that we haven't dealt with. So the book really helps you to begin to unpack those unconscious things and unconscious spaces so that you're no longer just parenting from the neck up. <laughs> or from the head yeah, up, it's just all yeah. this knowledge, or I because I say so, or because this is what we believe. Thinking mm-hmm. with your heart, you're forever opening yourself to healing, to being conscious, uh, to being connected to yourself first, and then also to your children. So the book is also available. Um, our website and also through our social media pages. Perfect. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol. Is there anything you would like to add or anything that I missed, you think I may have missed out on? Uh, I think my parting shot has a lot to do with that quote. Yeah. Let's realize that even whatever conversations we are having, sexuality, you know, we always say, have you had the talk with your child? There's nothing like talk, you know? Because people assume it's a one-off thing. one of it's ongoing conversations and you're also mm. ongoing conversations you're opening yourself to learning from your child you're telling the child okay let me go google about this so you go yeah. back it's okay it's okay not to know yes it's okay not to know yes drop a little bit in the dark but what are you doing after that i mean even yeah. just we've had here has highlighted some things that I need to also begin to explore. So be open-minded, you know, and make sure that even as you are passing down your values, you are also being very factual and scientific mm-hmm. as well, so that we marry those two in a way that is healthy and wholesome. Mm-hmm. And you can do it. You are enough. <laughs> Yes. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate your time. And I'm glad that we got to have this conversation. Um, Actually, I do have one more question. What made you pick this line of work? Two things, my Mm -hmm. personal experiences and my professional experiences. So one, like I began to say, I would fix children, so to speak, you know, fix them, work with them, transform them, give them the coping skills, but they would go back to the same environments. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I transitioned and began teaching uh, parents and working with parents, being just giving them information about the right environment that they Mm -hmm. need for their children to thrive. But then I was still doing it from a very theoretical perspective because I didn't have a child. And then I had, so I have a 12 year old, but I also have nephews that I raised. And my personal experiences were that I realized that there's a difference between theory and practice because my child, my son had the capacity to trigger the things that I had not worked on. The things that, you know, there's this what people say um, that you teach what you need to learn most. So I was teaching the thing. I was connected to, I need more information. So let me get information and pass it down to others. But when my child came, then it became more realistic. I go to a point where I'm like, I need to work on this trauma. I need to work on this space. I need to work. So then 
that has really built my practice in the sense that both the research I've done in my personal experiences, now I know that relationship with my son for me is foundational. It comes mm-hmm. before academics. It comes before looking like the model child out there. That is not important. What is important is am I providing the right environment so that he's connected with me so that he can come to me and tell me this is what I'm feeling, this is what mm-hmm. I'm stressing about and all that. So for me, it's both personal and professional experiences that got me here. Okay, good. I, actually, I was actually very curious about that as we were speaking and I'm like, oh, that's a question I should have asked you in the beginning, but <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Carol. I really appreciate your time. Um, I know it's been a long time coming and I'm really glad that we did this interview. I really am. Yes. Yeah. For the great work you're doing, Kaz. Oh, thank you. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I wanna show you places that I won't let nobody else see. I'll let you go inside to the places I wanna hide. I don't want nobody else seeing me naked But I risk it for you, I want you to take it Cause I know now I found something special So I just wanna lay down my body Thank you so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to share your thoughts with us on Instagram or on Twitter or on whatever social media app you prefer to use. And be sure to catch us next week. Okay, bye! That's why I didn't